Hello, everyone. Today's Network Collective Short Take is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to. One of the recurring themes in our listener survey is that you wanted to get to know our guests better. You hear the great insights, but don't much about don't know much about their backgrounds or how they obtain the knowledge that they share with you in our episodes. So from time to time, we're going to start doing what we're calling community spotlights to highlight contributors and industry professionals who are doing good work. So you can get a broader understanding of who they are and maybe even find some inspiration for your own career journey as well. If you're watching the video, you can see that kicking off this series with me is Nick Russo. Nick has been a Network Collective collaborator for some time now and has been a contributor to some of our most popular episodes. So right after the break, you're going to hear about how Nick got his start and has accomplished so much within a relatively compact portion of his career. So Nick, thanks for coming on to chat with me today and for being the brave soul to get this new idea off the ground. Yeah, why don't we start at the why don't we start at the beginning, man? How did you get in how did you get into this thing, this computer networking to begin with? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go back to I'll go back to maybe 18 years old, so right after high school, that's probably a good place to start. I think before that, you know, I tinkered around with stuff in high school. I think a lot of us did just out of interest, but you know, that's not really too fun to talk about. But <laughs> so my, you know, my first few years out of high school were probably different than most people. So when I graduated high school, I did two things. So I applied to a college. I went to Rochester Institute of Technology and studied computer science there, earned my four-year degree, graduated in 2008. But at the same time, when I finished high school in 04, I also joined the U.S. Marine Corps as as an infantryman in the reserves. So shooting rockets at tanks and blowing doors down with C4 had nothing to do with networking, but that's what I did. Uh, That was my job for a few years um, as a reservist. And while I was in college, I was studying computer science, didn't really do a lot of IT networking stuff. It was kind of, you know, I I knew it was there, but I was doing coding and that was cool to me at the time. When I finished college, I went to, I got commissioned in the Marine Corps as a communications officer. And then that became my profession. And I was fortunate because in the, the bust economy of 2008, when all my peers were trying to find work and having a hard time in a contracting economy, I didn't have that problem. So I went off in the Marine Corps as a comm officer. And in 2009 is when I started my uh, communications specific training. And this was an interesting time because we covered everything from using tactical radios, using uh, PBX, like kind of legacy telephony, uh, then voice over IP, data networks, all that kind of stuff was part of it. And in school, I was like, okay, this Cisco stuff, it, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, didn't really, didn't really love it at the time. Shortly thereafter, my first deployment, I went to, to Haiti. And some of you might remember about 10 years ago, it was in early 2010, there was a massive earthquake that just shattered the country and uh, my unit got deployed on short notice. So I deployed down there with my battalion and I was the communications officer uh, in that unit. And I was responsible for all the communications in a real deployment now. So it was a little bit different than training. Because it was such an expeditionary deployment and there wasn't a lot of fixed infrastructure, I mean, the earthquake destroyed most of the country. So electricity was a, was a luxury. So a lot of what we had was just tactical radios and kind of small SATCOM flyaway kits, you know, not the kind of heavy networking that we're used to. Uh, more like you can imagine like a branch site with a SATCOM link back kind of stuff. So nothing too exciting. Again, on that deployment is very focused on tactical radio stuff. And I let the, you know, the network nerds on my team go and, and do their thing. Because I just didn't know it. My second deployment to Afghanistan in 2011 was really where my eyes got open because it was a much more static position. It had, this base had been there for at least a few years. And when we rolled in, the infrastructure was mostly set up. It was my job to install, operate, and maintain it, expand it to some new sites and things like that. 
was a combination of SATCOM links and line of sight radio shots and a lot of Cisco networking equipment. We had servers in a small data center that we put VMware on. So it was kind of a kind of the the general IT infrastructure you'd see in a typical SMB, except deployed overseas. And, you know, obviously very resource starved in terms of getting replacement parts, et cetera. So while I was there, uh, I worked with my comm chief. His name was John Robertson. He's a great friend of mine, and he just retired after 30 years in the Marine Corps, like a couple months ago. So pretty incredible commitment there. Um, anyway, we, he, I saw his skills. And at the time, you know, I was a completely untrained. Uh, I was, you know, I was an officer. My, my, my job was to, to lead and provide oversight, not necessarily type on keyboards at the time. Uh, I saw his skills. And even though his skills were probably CCNA level, I was like blown away, you know, like a CCNA was like God mode in the Marines at the time. <laughs> so, you know, he was setting up routers, you know, plugging things in, doing VLANs. I was like, Oh, I got to learn this, you know, and, and on the deployment, I learned a little bit, which was cool. But at that point I was like, this is what I want to do. And I left the Marine Corps in, in 2012, um, got a job in the commercial sector doing networking stuff. And that was really the start of where the networking career began in early 2012, I'd say. I find that interesting that, that the thing that, uh, the thing that inspired you, and it's funny because I've kind of had the same, the same reaction when I saw it for the first time as well. It's a lot of the stuff that we kind of just go, uh, today, right? Like it's the stuff that's not all that interesting anymore, but man, at the time it was like, this is, this is different and this looks important and I know it's important. And it was really, um, it's like, man, I want to get in on that. So it's really funny because I had that same reaction the first time I saw someone doing networking. I'm like, Ooh, that looks like where I want to be. And I have no idea why, like I couldn't pinpoint like why I chose that over server administration or whatever at the time, obviously as I, as I grew in my career, it became a more uh, conscious choice, but that's a, it's really interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. And, and, you know, once I, once I got out of the Marine Corps and I, you know, I got hired for my job, I think in like December, 2011, and I started in January, you know, I spent that whole, you know, Christmas break period, just studying. I bought like a, a CCNA book. I was reading it. I was doing labs. I was like, Oh, this is, I couldn't get enough. I loved it. Um, you know, then I went on, you know, like, I think a lot of new in career people tend to do this. And I think it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I went on like a two year certification binge. I don't even know how many I earned, but you know, a couple of Cisco ones, like an idle one, uh, probably a Juniper one. I don't even know, but I earned a bunch, you know, I learned a lot doing it and it was useful because in the job I was currently working, we had a lot of people who were brilliant, uh, electrical engineers, people who did radios and RF stuff. I worked in a radio manufacturer. Uh, we didn't have quite as strong of a network presence. So I became known in that field there, which was kind of niche for that particular environment. So I enjoyed that. Uh, again, we're talking 2012, 2013 timeframe here. And at that point, I was probably like a, you know, a mid-level engineer, um, generally enjoyed the work I did. And, you know, it was right around that point that I realized, you know, I went from not knowing anything two years ago to being pretty good after just a few years. And I said, you know, if I can keep up this pace, which, you know, I wasn't sure that I could at the time, but if I can keep up this pace for maybe three, four, five more years, I could probably become, you know, not only well-known in the community, but I could also become a top contributor wherever I work. And, you know, now we're kind of here today and I feel like I've met that goal, you know, not trying to sound cocky here, but <laughs> it's not I, at all I kept cocky. up that. You yeah. are a top contributor. There's no question about it. Yeah, I'll like, say it for you. There's no, there's yeah. no, there's no qualms about it. I appreciate that. that. You know, I've yeah. tried to keep up that pace the whole time and, you know, constantly learning new things. And, you know, the thing that all of us want to do, and, you know, I know we'll talk about trends here shortly, but you know, that's one of the things I think is really important is when we, when we take a mindset of 
when we contribute back to the community and we become top performers and we share that knowledge and we mentor others and we make that part of our daily, you know, battle rhythm to, to use a military term, you know, it's, it's the old phrase, a rising tide will lift all boats. <clears throat> and I believe that, you know, if you're adding content to the pool and it's useful, original and productive, then you're really just elevating the entire practice. Um, and some people have asked me, you know, I, I've used that phrase before, elevate the state of our practice. And some people are like, well, that's really vague. And what does that even mean? And they accuse me of, of management speak, but I know it's not, it's not really that. Um, it's, you know, if you're, if you're improving the community, which I think you and I are doing on this very call and other people, thousands of people around the world are doing it through their training, through their blogs, through their mentorship, through their conference talks and all kinds of other things that people are doing out there to bring value. I think overall that we're doing a great thing for the community. That's awesome. You've been focusing a lot on automation lately. So I want to talk a bit about that because you kind of, uh, you, you kind of just dove in there. I mean, and so this has kind of been since you've come on the show where you started really focusing on the idea of automation and programmability. And so I'd just like to just briefly talk about what that transition was like for you. Cause I think a lot of people are, are either in the middle of that or looking at that right now. And so yeah. I think it'd be interesting to hear your take on it. Yeah, it was an interesting, it was kind of a hard transition for me because, you know, in, in late 2016, I, I earned my, my CCDE. That was the last major cert I got. I was kind of done after that. So I, you know, I earned it in November. I spent, you know, I spent, I think I took the month of December off, you know, just kind of hung out. And then in January, you I said, I'm off. I don't, I've never yeah, heard of you. Taking it was, it was off. weird. I, I, it was really strange, but I did. <laughs> uh, and then in January, I came back and I said, I want to learn something new but I don't want to just like start another CCIE. I don't want to, you know, learn another networking vendor CLI. So what I decided to do was actually not programmability at all. I decided to do two things and it ultimately led me to programmability later. The first thing I did was like a $10 MBA course on Udemy. And I was like 10 bucks, why well, can't go wrong? And it was yeah, actually really good. And yeah. it helped me round out just basic business knowledge around everything from marketing, accounting, production, operations, those kind of organizational behavior, strategy, those kinds of basic things. That was, like, that was useful for me to have. And then I said, okay, I've got a little more context around business stuff. This is going to set me up to do, maybe if I want to be an independent consultant or whatever, it gives me a little more knowledge outside of technology. Then a month later in February, I said, <clears throat> I want to learn a little bit about cloud because I know absolutely nothing about it. Again, another $10 investment on Udemy, got an AWS course, which was probably the best 10 bucks I ever spent. Uh, learned just the basics of you know, EC2 and S3 and just played around with it and got exposed to it. So now at this point, I'm in completely un uncharted waters doing cloud. I didn't even have a use case. My job wasn't doing it. I was just messing around. Um, and then a few months later, we'll talk about this maybe in a future uh, about some of the history on some of these networks that I helped build. But at this point, we had already started building kind of a large global MPLS network. And we were getting to the point where there were a lot of repetitive tasks. And I was like, you know, I've heard of this thing called Ansible. I don't know anything about it. I'm not good with automation, but you might remember, I did go to school for computer science and my code, my coding skills are rusty. I haven't done it professionally in more than a decade, but I was like, I, I remember enough to where I think I could, I could survive here. So again, I did my, my PIP install Ansible in April of 2017, and I've been chugging away at it since then. Just, so, you know, my initial use case for Ansible was a little bit different because for the MBA stuff and the cloud stuff, I was just tinkering. But Ansible, I had a use case at work, and that's what I think fueled me to go really hard down that road instead of really hard on the cloud road or whatever, because I had a real use case at work, and I had 
real demonstrable results if I were able to do it successfully. So that kind of got me started. And that was about two and a half years ago now. And then since then, I've explored, you know, not just Ansible, but other tools, just my own Python scripts and Nornir and Napalm. And there's a, there's a million other things out there that are awesome. Um, but I really got into that because I thought that a lot of this really isn't that hard. And I'm really just saving myself time. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I started off by just doing really basic stuff like most people recommend. And it was massively beneficial. So then I just kind of built it and had to do more and more complex things. You know, one example this is really, you know, logically it's easy to think about, but imagine you run an MPLS network and you've got uh, 20 pops <clears throat> and management wants a matrix, a 20 by 20 matrix, so 400 cells, uh, and they want all the pop to pop uh, round trip times. So from site A to site B, it's 10 milliseconds, right? You get the point. Mm -hmm. So I used to, you know, when we only had six sites, I would just do it manually because it took me 10 minutes and I was like, okay, cool. I'll just log in. I'll do some show commands while I'm here, make sure everything's working. But that really quickly gets out of control when you've got like 10, you know, even 10 sites is a is hundred cells to fill, you know, minus the diagonal, right? So it was a ton. Uh, so again, using Ansible was able just to log in, you know, uh, run some IPSLAs or whatever I did. I don't even remember now populate this big chart and then out comes this spreadsheet that was massive and I could generate it in like a minute or five minutes or however long it took to run. And that's when I really started to see the value of how I could make this work in a real production network, you know, doing more than just grabbing configs, but doing things that our existing network operations products couldn't do. Um, and I thought that was pretty useful. And I continued to build use cases based on what my specific customer needed. Uh, and I just kind of fell in love with that. Uh, the other thing that I really liked, even past just the automation piece, was the <clears throat> the kind of DevOps workflows. And when we talk about all the things that fit into that, from continuous integration and continuous deployment to version control and the whole concept of infrastructure as code and model-driven programmability, and when all that stuff fits together, you end up with a really incredible solution for network management. And that was like... I loved it. I was like, I got to do this. And I've been doing that for two years and it's just been amazing. Awesome. Uh, one of the other things, and this is, uh, I think a bit more recent, you've been, you've been doing, you've been creating a lot of content. Uh, so obviously you've done quite a, quite a few episodes with us. And like I said, at the top of the show, uh, some of them are more popular ones on protocol deep dives, but I've, I've started to see you're starting to do content at places like plural site and you're doing, I think some stuff with Pearson. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I think that that's in there. And so, um, you know, uh, tell me a bit about that. Like, how'd you get into doing that? Like, is that something that you're going to be focusing on going forward? Like, how does that work for you? Yeah, so uh, this was, this kind of goes back into the, I want to add content to the pool. I want to, I want to lift all boats. I want to share my knowledge out there. Of course, the difference here is that I can, I can get paid doing it because at the end of the day, we all, <laughs> we all need to get paid, like right? I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's necessarily a bad thing there, but yeah, no. so I got, I got interested in it because I felt like, um, the knowledge that I had gained and, and you know, uh, people who are watching this and who know me, a lot of people are going to say, man, that Nick Russo guy, he's not even that good. And, and you're probably right because there are so many other people who are really, really good with the network programmability stuff. Cause they do it like it's their profession. Like for me, I, it's, I don't really do it as part of my day job because I don't need to anymore. It's just not relevant for the work I do. So I do it on the side, but there are people who are absolutely incredible at it and know it very, very well. However, I think my unique value is the specific business context in which I did it. And I actually gave a talk at Interop a few months ago and put that up on YouTube. 
um, to talk about how I <clears throat> introduced automation in a bureaucracy or a very bureaucratic environment and the steps I took and how I did a business analysis there. Um, that's just one example of the specific value that I know how to bring. So I wanted to share some of that in a commercial setting through Pluralsight and O'Reilly and, and things like that as well, because I think that I'm not just teaching the abstract skills, I'm painting scenarios around it that fit real life use cases. And I think that helps people learn better. Uh, and that's just my style. And I wanted to share that with other people. So that was the probably the most appropriate avenue. I feel like people are getting a really good return on investment for being able to learn content from professionals who have experience and I get some equitable compensation. So I'm happy. They're happy. Seems to work out pretty well. Um, you know, recently what I've been doing with Pluralsight is some um, training around some of the Cisco DevNet stuff. So it's not official cert training. It just focus, it's focuses more on skills. So how can we use Python to interact with Cisco APIs? How can we build a DevOps, a CI CD pipeline? Uh, what are the different API types? Um, how does Docker work and how can that be part of the solution? What about web security? Uh, how about NetConf and RESTConf and Yang, you know, those kinds of things and trying to wrap those into a coherent set of courses that can help network engineers who already have networking skills to elevate their skills to the next level so that they can kind of operate in a program, you know, a, in a world where automation and programmability become the norm and not the exception. Gotcha. So um, I guess, uh, I guess we probably already teed this off a little bit. But I, I kind of want to get your opinion, and I think we'll probably close with these these next couple of questions. Um, but really, I, I kind of want to get your idea of, you know, what are some trends that are happening right now that you think are positive, things people should be paying attention to? And you've kind of mentioned a couple of things here. I think you're probably going to repeat yourself, and that's okay. Maybe not. Maybe you come up with something new. But, uh, but I, think that, I think it's one of those important things that uh, all of us kind of have these different perspectives. So what is the things that you think, you know, people should be paying attention to right now? Yeah. So from a human perspective, you know, kind of what I, what I was just saying a minute ago is I'm seeing more and more people sharing their experiences and their knowledge. And of course, this is a double-edged sword because sometimes people will share things that are just technically wrong. And I think that's okay. And I've even done that and I've been corrected in public and you just have to, you just have to be tough enough to, to take it and accept the criticism and make the changes. And I think that's fine. But, you know, compared to 10, 10, or even five years ago, we have, you know, the Network Collective is new, you know, other bigger organizations like, like packet pushers and even smaller ones like individual bloggers and content producers. I think we're seeing a greater diversity of people with diverse skill sets and backgrounds contributing content. And I think that's important. And the other thing is it doesn't just have to be technical deep dive stuff. It can be anything. It can be your individual experiences in networking or how to combat fatigue or how to beat the imposter syndrome or whatever it is you think is important and whatever knowledge you have. I, I always encourage people to share that. Whether you do it through a commercial avenue like paid training or whether you make a YouTube video or a blog, it doesn't really matter. So as long as you're adding content and helping the community grow, I think you're doing a great thing. And that's a trend I want to see continue. Awesome. Uh, I think it's fair then to ask about the inverse. Is there anything that uh, that you see that you think, ah, you know, there be dragons? Caution there. Don't 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 necessarily believe what you hear. Are there trends happening in the industry that you're concerned about? Yeah, and this kind of ties in. I, I mentioned the imposter syndrome a minute ago. I think I'm seeing, and again, this might just be a, 
might just be me because I have kind of a filter in my mind that looks for it. But I feel like a lot more people are talking about imposter syndrome on social media and in chats. And, you know, I understand it. I understand what the syndrome is. And I admit to having felt it before in the past. But I pretty quickly realized that when you compare yourself to other people, especially if you're doing it from a, from a position of, of weakness or, or inferiority, then you're really just hurting yourself. Because, you know, let me give you an example. You know, for, I, I can't compare myself to other people because we have different experiences, different histories, different stories, different skill sets. And unless you're comparing people against a very strict specification, for example, a job requisition that says, hey, do I want to hire Nick or do I want to hire Jordan for this job? Here are the specs. Which candidate fits this mold better? Pick that person. That's a fair comparison because there's a model that tells you how to compare people. But at a general level, when you go on Twitter and you see person X posting blogs and videos and he or she's doing all this and you're not, and you feel like you're just, you know, that person's just winning and you're losing. That's just the wrong, the wrong attitude to take. And I always encourage people, don't compare yourself to others, compare yourself against your own success criteria. Now, if you don't have success criteria, you need to come up with it. Like what does success look like for you? And if you meet or exceed those criteria, you're winning, period. Doesn't matter what anyone else does. That's how I look at it. There's a lot of truth there. I think there's a, there's a balance here. I think the balance is, so I just speaking for my own personal journey, I've been incredibly inspired by seeing what other people have done. And that by some level is comparison to where I'm at. And I think ultimately it's, it's, the, it's the impression that you get out of it. It's, it. it's not that I'm less than because they're doing that. It's that I know I could do better and so that inspiration. So I think that's a positive thing in the sense of looking at somebody, you know, uh, you're one of these people, Nick, just to be honest with you, like your, your dedication and, and, and your um, discipline in learning things is something that inspires me. I wish I, I wish I had that. That doesn't mean I'm less than, right? Like it just means that that is a, that is a trait that is positive that I'd like to emulate. That is something that, that is a goal worth aspiring to. And so looking at others for things like that, like that, I think is a positive thing because I think there's a lot of great examples out of there and getting inspiration from other people's accomplishments is positive. So one of the reasons why Network Collective exists is because we wanted to, to expose people who are doing great things so that people can see what is possible. But yeah, I completely agree that this idea of somehow you're less than. Um, there's all kinds of, of contributing factors in people's stories. Some people are handed more, some people are handed less. Uh, some people have uh, challenges and circumstances that other people, you just can't compare. It's not fair. It's not right. fair to yourself. Yeah. That's right. And the way I look at it is like you said, you can, you can take a page from someone else's book, but that doesn't mean their book is better than yours. It just means that one page is better than yours. Right. And you can, you know, and that's the thing is when you see something you like in someone, that's all you're seeing. You know, there's a, there's, there are a lot of things about me and everyone else that are probably best left unsaid. Terribly- <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone presents. Yeah. I mean, this is the social media effect, right? right. Everyone presents only the positive impact of the things that they do. No one, yeah. no, one no one shares the super negative stuff, or at least most people don't. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, uh, and so you get a very, very uh, biased picture and impression of what the actual person is. Exactly. There's a lot of truth in that. So thank, uh, so Nick, thanks for coming on. I do appreciate you taking the time. 
Um, as Nick stated earlier, he's been doing a lot of work, uh, put site, other places. You should definitely go check that stuff out. Uh, his content is fantastic. And so if you have subscriptions at plural site, uh, I think if you're on Safari books online, there's some content that you can get. There's some webinars and live lessons and things that he does. Of course, there's all the episodes he's done with us. So you can go back and find our, if you could just search on network collective, uh, the network collective.com for her. Nick Russo, you'll find all the protocol deep dives and things that he's done. Um, and I think that's it for today's episode. I mean, if you enjoyed this, keep an eye on the space for more like it, as well as a few new twists to what we're doing here with uh, Network Collective Short Take. Uh, you can find any of our past episodes at thenetworkcollective.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, all the regular podcast places. Uh, you can find videos on Vimeo or YouTube. Links to both of those are on the Network Collective website, or you can just search for us there on those sites. Uh, so if you watched and listened, thanks so much for, uh, for, being, a, for being a listener to Network Collective. And uh, we will see you next time.